Well, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. One of the few pastors here. Everybody headed out of town on the holiday. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Um, we have begun a series on uh, Grace Renewed. And it really is focusing on these things right here. We love God together. We love our church family together. We love our neighbor together. And um, uh, started, but was three weeks ago when Marcus spoke on the importance of loving God together in the weekly gatherings. And that's a pretty important issue that he developed there. And I think the bottom line is, if you remember, is this. Unless you're sick, unless you're on vacation, or unless you're at work, we're committed to the body to be together. That includes also community group, I would say. Um, the idea that church is somewhere that we go when we don't have anywhere else to go is just inconsistent with a life of discipleship, and you understand that. Church should be an excuse for missing other things, not vice versa. Got awfully quiet. This morning, <laughs> uh, this morning I'm going to uh, do part two of what we started with last week, and that is loving God together uh, in our giving. And if you are visiting for the first time, can I just say, uh, the church is often, the church at large is often known for always asking for money. We have not spoken on money for six years. And so I just want, I feel justified in saying up front, hey, it's okay to talk about it. It's, sh it's shot throughout scripture, our stewardship of money. And so, uh, uh, yeah. I guess I, I don't want to apologize. I just wanted to frame that to say this is part of a life of discipleship also. And so, loving God together in our giving. God wants you to have more than you need so you can give it away. Can you just put a stake in the ground on that thought right there? Uh, God wants us to have more than we need so that we can give it away. That is a lifestyle that God wants developed in us. The more, listen, he wants us to have our needs met, but he also wants us to hold that loosely in that we are gracious and not stingy. God so loved that he gave, and so when we're reflecting his character, we are givers as well. Last week, I, I developed that in two areas. One is there's crisis giving, and then there's regular giving. Crisis giving was modeled by the New Testament church at Corinth. As you remember, if uh, you were not here last week, it's on the website. You can listen to it. The idea that here was the Corinthian church that was in a crisis at very difficult times themselves, but when they had some other folks that were very needy, they begged Paul, let us help out with that. And so they weren't giving because they had extra money lying around. They weren't giving because they had made a killing in the stock market. They weren't giving because the housing market was great and they had great equity in their house now. They were giving in great trial and affliction and gave to the relief of others because that was just a reflection of what God was doing in their lives. So the question for all of us is always, not only the Corinthians, but us as well, the question is not, what would I do if I won the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes? The question is, what am I going to do with the 20 bucks in my pocket? That, crisis giving, in that case, it was a, Famine, right? In our case, it's somebody's house burns down or somebody wrecks their car. That, that has been a mark of providence. That has been a character quality of providence as long as I've been here. Uh, regular, consistent giving is where I want to focus on today a little bit more as well. And I would argue that God's training wheels for regular, consistent giving is the tithe. 
Uh, last week we saw that uh, God was using the issue of tithe as kind of training wheels to teach people to get them in the habit of giving. Rather than just holding on to everything all the time, it's all about me and my stuff. He says, Here, here's a way to get you on a regular basis. The tithe, as we saw last week, was not just 10%. By the time you had all the givings together in the Old Testament, the average Old Testament person gave 23.5% of their income. Not because they felt like it, because they were expected to. It was commanded by God. And the idea is, if they're doing it because they have to, eventually you can take the training wheels off and they give because it's an, a habit. Okay. Apparently God thought that was pretty serious because uh, Malachi 3, remember we finished up last week, God said, if you're not tithing, you're actually robbing him which ought to make us a little nervous about the idea of, well, I'll decide it's my money, I'll give where, you know, where I want to give. It's like, well, whether or not you believe tithing is in the New Testament, the principle is there. The principle is that we give because it's a reflection of God's character. And as I finished up, I, I do want to get to the text that we're going to deal with today. Um, but I... As a, as a good professor, I'm, I'm going to hit that nail again from last week so it sticks. You know what I mean? Uh, for those who argue that we're not under the law, tithing is not in the law, we are free to give whatever we want, this is an age of grace, I would just say this. If the average Christian today is giving 2.6% of their income, and 40% of Christians don't give anything, we ought to ask ourselves whether we need the training wheels back on. Because the bike doesn't seem to be, the bike's laying in the yard. It's kind of like, should the gift of grace in our lives, if we have experienced the truth of the word of God, if Jesus has come and take control of my life, is he the grace of operative in my life, should that make us less generous people or more generous people? I think the answer is pretty clear. Okay, let's drill down a little bit on a motive for giving. First of all, can I'll, I'll just say, um, God doesn't need our money. He uses the idea of giving because it develops something in our character. Because giving is not, he, he's not just wanting to make it a law so to make sure that he gets his money. He doesn't need it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God knows that if money consumes me, that's going to be in the driver's seat of my life. And so... Um, he really is going after our hearts when he's trying to bring us along as givers. It's an issue of developing a godly heart. To the degree that I develop a giving heart, I'm developing the character that reflects Jesus. To the degree that I am stingy and protective of my stuff, um, I'm not reflecting the character of God. We will always spend our resources on our at your budget, what our heart treasures. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you look at your budget, if you look at your bank statement or your credit card, you can see where your heart is. Because we put our money on what we value. So if you, I mean, if you were to look at my bank statement, you would say, oh, he values a house because a lot of our money goes to housing. Uh, yeah, there you can determine, you see where I'm going with this. Uh, frankly, church ought to value 
show up there as well. I think if you look at our credit card statement, we value eating out also. <laughs> Uh, it's not a bad thing, unless I'm robbing God in order to spend it on the stuff that I want. So it can be convicting. It's a challenge to look at the way we spend money. So I, I, really, want, I really want to get to the passage that we looked at uh, in the Scripture reading. But I want to put a spotlight on our hearts, first of all, and see, let's talk a little bit about the, our hearts. Because the fact of the matter is, as fallen human beings, even redeemed fallen human beings, we still wrestle what Scripture calls greed. You believe that? Don't, don't ask your feelings. Your feelings will lie to you. If you say, I'm not greedy, your feelings will lie. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? <laughs> right? So even after we come to know Christ, even after we are saved, it is possible, it's frankly necessary for us to always fight against kind of a spirit of greed. And frankly, it's a hard subject to address. You know why? Because we don't see it in ourselves. If I were to ask you, are you a greedy person? I don't know that there's anybody in the room that would say, yep, that's me. It is invisible to us. And so when Jesus says, uh, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, why is he saying that? It's because we need to hear it. We need to hear the potential that we have uh, towards greed. But again, if you ask me, am I a greedy person, my tendency would be to say, mm, I don't think so. First of all, it's socially unacceptable to acknowledge that we're greedy. There's some, listen, there's a lot of sins that are socially acceptable, right? We share with, we share with some folks, listen, I really wrestle with my temper, People say, oh, I understand, you know, and we totally come alongside of that person. Even if somebody says, you know, uh, I really wrestle with uh, alcohol, we'll say, you know, when a person's in AA, it's like, hey, my name is so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic, everybody will affirm that. Everybody recognizes that there are some things that we wrestle with, and it's all kind of common to us. But who confesses to greed? We don't recognize it in ourselves. It is invisible. And frankly, not only don't we recognize it, we baptize it. We celebrate it. Even inside the church sometimes. I mean, watch cable Christian TV. You understand how the church has gotten a reputation for being itself greedy. It's unlike other sins because of its unique ability to hide in our hearts. Now, every other sin, frankly, if I... If I if I sin, I know it, right? If I tell you a lie, I know I lied. If I were going to steal something, I know I stole it. If you ask me, have you killed someone? I don't have to think, well, no, I don't know. Let me think about it. <laughs> have, I <laughs> have you slept with someone other than your spouse? Hmm, let me think. Well, I mean, that's simply not the case. But when it comes to greed, we have trouble identifying it. Somebody says, are you greedy? We'll say, mm, I don't think so. You see what I'm saying? Because our heart has the potential to hide. I see it in other people. And I think that's where our greedy hearts hide. On one hand, it, it hides because our default is to do comparison. 
You know, it's like if you ask me, are you greedy? I said, no. I can tell you some people who are greedy. As a matter of fact, as soon as I find someone else that I can point the finger out, I, it just at, it justifies where I am. Then I can relax. It's like whew, I'm not as greedy as so and so because they're really greedy. I think my heart also has a tendency to too easily let myself off of the hook when it comes to being greedy. I mean, you know this. Part of it masquerades, I think, as compassion. When somebody says, um, take any other sin. If somebody comes and, if somebody came and said, listen, I'm really struggling with this sin. Um, if somebody comes and says, I'm struggling with alcohol, I'm struggling with drugs, I'm struggling with porn, I think the tendency would be to say, when, when they confess, you know, it's just like, I just feel so bad about this, I've confessed it to God, I lament over it, I grieve over it, I promise not to do it again, and then here I am all over again. Our tendency is, what's our default position? To say, well, that's okay. A lot of people wrestle with that. Um, don't, you shouldn't feel bad about that. Don't, don't worry. Let me pray that you don't feel so guilty. No. No. I'm not arguing that we need to shame each other, but I think if somebody is saying, I really wrestle with materialism or, or any other sin, if somebody's wrestling with that stuff, what we can't do is minimize it. We're not talking about shaming somebody, but we can't minimize it or just simply say, oh, well, you know, we're kind of all on the struggle bus there. To speak truth, to call each other out, to hold each other accountable, in this area as well, in a world, I don't know where your giving is, I don't ask me, I don't know, I don't want to know, nor do any of the elders know. Um, the finance people do. No, Scott. <laughs> so if Scott's looking at you funny, just no, no. You understand, in a world in which the average Christian is 2.6%, this may be a conversation that we need to have on a regular basis and to challenge each other and encourage each other and confess it if we're wrestling with it. Listen, I am alive today because this guy spoke truth to me. Two years ago, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. You know what he didn't do? He didn't minimize my problem. He didn't say to me, well, Jeff, you know, a lot of people wrestle with this. It's like, but, but he, didn't want to, he didn't want to speak hard truth to me because he didn't want to offend me. If, what would you say about a doctor that did that? That's malpractice. We're doing, we are spiritually malpracticing. Is that a verb? <laughs> we are practicing spiritual malpractice. If we let each other off the hook and just justify, rationalize, minimize, explain away the stuff that God really wants us to make some headway on. That guy was willing to tell me some hard stuff, and, and, and he held me accountable to do something about it. He didn't just feel bad for me. He walked with me through the challenges of getting healthy. I'm cancer-free. Um, yeah. Number three, I think this is all, also the way our greedy hearts hide, to, and we deceive ourselves when it masquerades as security. When Paul says, uh, keep your, no, Jesus says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 
Why does he tie not forsaking us to the issue of don't love money? Because when we don't trust that God's going to provide for us, I think i got to provide for myself, and I'm going to have to get me a little stockpile of money because I don't know if God's going to come through. We have to speak the truth to each other. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you, so stop being stingy because you think you're going to get in a bind and I'm not going to be there. Now, how do I detect greediness in my heart? By how I give. Whether I'm a gracious giver or whether I'm stingy with what I have. How I give. When I have a giving heart, that is kryptonite against stinginess. God wants you to have more than you need so you can give it away. Now, the bedrock I'm going to argue, is forgiving is the confidence and belief that everything that we have comes from him. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it, he is, it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. You don't have your job and that money and all the stuff you have because you just gotta, you've just got it going on. It's like, hey, this is my money. I worked for it. I did the hard work. No, if God didn't open the gates for you to be where you are, you wouldn't have it. You believe that? It's God who gives you the power to get wealth. Uh, Acts 17, God doesn't need stuff. He's not, he's not a little short this month and, and is asking you to come through for him. Listen, he's, he has everything. And as a matter of fact, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. It's not even that I give God 10% and the rest of the stuff is mine. All of it belongs to God. I only have it because he lent it to me. Do you believe that everything you have comes from God? Don't ask your feelings. If you say, well, I don't feel stingy, because your heart will lie to you. Your heart is desperately wicked. The proof of whether or not you are stingy is how you give. That shows what you really believe. What are you trusting in? Remember Malachi 3? If we don't give, listen, you, you, that's not some mis... You know, you can't explain that away through some Hebrew word or something. To not give is to rob God. And as a matter of fact, in that passage, here's what he says. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and put me to the test. Give and test me out and see if I will provide for you. God says, put me in the dock. Put me in the dock. Put me to the test and see if I won't come through for you. There are people in this room right here that could testify of the goodness of that statement, that that statement is true, right? Some of you have been walking with the Lord for years, and you've learned that, either, either the hard way or graciously. You know, Haggai says, you know why some of you are struggling? Because you don't give, and you're trying to save all your stuff in a bag that has holes in it, and you're putting your money in the bag, and it's all leaking out. <laughs> you say, I just can't get ahead. Well, maybe there's something that you should consider. If I, re if I withhold my giving, if I'm refusing to believe that he is the source of everything, um, then I will want to manage and hold on to that stuff because I won't trust him. God says, I'm not stingy. Everything you have is because I gave it to you. God wants you to put him to the test. God wants you to have more than you need, so you give it away. 
We see that with, with our own kids, don't we? Uh, Abby and Justin's kids love Legos. They have a blue million of them. And, and, and he, they just keep giving them. They have a box of Legos, I swear. This ain't good. It's a lot. <laughs> and they, you know, they love to give them, and they love to see them play, and they love to share. Now, guess what happens when they start getting stingy with them? When they start saying, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. I've heard the conversations often. Uh, listen, if you refuse to share, listen, I'm the one that gave those Legos to you. I'll take them away. And more than once, those, that box of Legos has ended up in the garage. It's a hard lesson. It's a hard lesson to learn that they give. Listen, they love to give and they love to see them share. But if you get stingy with it, uh, I gave it to you. I'll take it away. Now, that's not a threat. It's just all I'm saying is our parenting is really a reflection of God. Sometimes God wants to teach us some hard lessons by taking back a little bit of what he has given to us. If you don't believe that, test that out. God says, show me a heart of generosity, and I will show you how much I can give you. Put me to the test. Check me out. If God owns everything, we will ask a different question than, well, how much do I need to give? I will ask, rather, how much do I get to give? How much do I dare to hold on myself? One is a reflection of a heart of greed. One is a reflection of a heart of gratitude and grace. We give to expand his kingdom. God blesses us, and he, and he is happy when we are willing to share and invest that in a kingdom agenda. Now, the central hub of giving is the church. This is Acts 4. This is what we read in the scripture. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. These were folks who came to know Jesus. They were flying high. They had a different view on life, different experience in relationship and community. And they were committed. And Listen, church for them wasn't a place you go and sit for an hour and stare at the back of somebody's head on Sunday morning. Church is a place of community. Church is a place of relationship. And when I'm in relationship and community with you, I'm concerned about how you're doing, and you're concerned about me. And so when these folks were going through tough times, they were, listen, they weren't giving money that they had extra just laying around. Look at what they're doing. They're selling a, a field, selling a house. I mean, there's some sacrifice involved in here. And what did they do? They didn't just give it anywhere. They brought it to the elders as the leaders of the church. Now, why was that? I would argue, is because when you bring it to the church and uh, give it under the direction of spiritual, godly leaders, you multiply the impact of our giving. It's like a magnifying glass. You know how you, you know, if you take a magnifying glass and hold it in the sun, it concentrates, really concentrates, and you get, I mean, you start a fire with that. Uh, that's something of what happens when God's people bring offerings to the church, there's a magnified focus of what goes on. Listen, if everybody gave just everywhere they wanted around here, covenant uh, cross-purpose would not exist. If people just gave anywhere they wanted to, the kinds of ministry that Providence is involved in would not take place because it's dissipated. The impact is dissipated. Focus the impact 
That's, what, that's why covenant partners, when the, when the leaders get together and develop a budget, which you voted on in December, that is a collective wisdom of leaders that they bring then to the church, to the covenant partners, and say, this is what we want to invest in. This is what we want to focus on. Are you on board with this? And then we all vote on it. That's why the discussion in December was, hey, this is what we said we would do. We're $27,000 behind. And then people stepped up. But that's part of being a responsible covenant partner. That's part of being a responsible member of the family. We invest. We believe in the vision of Providence. We believe in the mission of Providence. We're all in this together. Wise leaders budget and plan to bring a budget for you to vote on. You affirm it. That's what family does. That's a focused, magnified, intensive impact from the resources that God has given us. Now, if you say, well, you know, I think I ought to be able to give my money wherever I want. Um, try that at Outback Steakhouse. Go to Outback, take your family, have a great meal. I mean, get, get this expensive stuff. Get uh, appetizers and dessert. Enjoy yourself. Have all your needs met at Outback Steakhouse. And then when they bring you the bill, say, well, you know, I gave my money over at McDonald's. You see what I'm saying? You give where you're fed. We don't apologize for that. This, this is t collectively, this is where we say we are. This is who we are as family. This is what we're committed to doing. And so now you, you're free to give other places than that. But the reason, oh, I would argue, above the tithe, I think the primary giving is here because this is what you're committed to as family. But this is, this is the kind of stuff. I asked, I asked my CG this week, if I was going to talk about giving again this week, which is part two, what questions do I need to answer in the sermon? And they, and they said this, where does it go? When we give to Providence, where does it go? This is where it goes. For those of listening by tape, uh, it's wages, health insurance premiums, facility upkeep and maintenance, property insurance, workman's comp, leadership resources, counseling, Kid City, new reality, switch up, translation services, CG outreach, mercy ministry, local and foreign missions, property tax. It would be great if ministry didn't cost anything, but it does. And frankly, God has instituted this whole business of giving just because it stretches our character. It develops deep roots and confidence in God and our ability to trust him rather than my checkbook. And people say, well, how much money is spent on providence versus what we do outside? How much money do we spend on ourselves versus neighbors? It's pretty amazing. I've, I'll just say I've never been in a church that had this degree of focus. For every dollar that we spend on Providence, we spend $26 in the neighborhood. The budget for outside of this ministry here is 26 times bigger than what we spend on ourselves. That's a healthy thing. That's a healthy thing. And so when we talk about getting a 1,000 neighbors out of poverty, it, it doesn't come apart from investment. Now, you can give beyond church. And we've seen some of this. I mean, we've been talking about some of this over the Jubilee principle. Listen, somebody has a financial need over and above your tithe and giving, help them out. We have, we have seen people pay off uh, medical bills 
We've seen people, uh, well, Pastor Edward, that was at his memorial service for his wife yesterday, paid off uh, a car accident. Uh, you folks gave for, them to, for him to be able to go back to Africa for the uh, funeral of his wife. You folks gave for uh, Mandy and Joaquin to go back to Alaska when he lost his mother and sister. Those kinds of things. You say, well, I can't, I can't pay off somebody's debt. That's okay. Go to a restaurant and tip lavishly. Anybody who works food service will tell you they don't like the Sunday afternoon crowd. You know why? Church folks don't tip. Don't take it from me. Uh, ask anybody who works in food service. <laughs> yes or no? I should ask for testimony. <laughs> Listen, we can't even give radically on our own. I would argue that's one of the reasons that CG, one of the reasons for community groups, we need to be challenging each other and encouraging each other. And uh, Listen, when God calls you to give, listen, sometimes that can be scary. And sometimes the early steps of saying, when I give sacrificially to other people, that, that's, I'm giving away my safety net. You know, what's, you know what our community groups, if you're in a community group and significant relationship, which you ought to be, the community group will say to you, um, give as you feel like God is, living, uh, is, is leading you, and if something happens, we'll be, isn't that what they were doing? Back. Isn't that Acts 4? Isn't that what they were doing? That's not radical Christianity. That's Christianity 101. The tithe is the Old Testament law. We're not under law. Get whatever you want. We are free. We're set free to give whatever we want. I will just say what I said last week. Churches and people who take that position most often give less to kingdom work. That's why we're at 2.6%. Once we take the training wheels off the back and people don't know how to ride the bike or don't want to ride the bike, that's where we end up. If you have experienced the lavish grace of God, I'm just saying it seems to me we should be giving more. We should be giving more. How much should I give? Wrong question. How much do I dare keep from what God has given me on loan? Now, what about somebody who says, well, um, I can't tithe because I'm in debt. Is that a legitimate question? Anybody have that mind question go through your mind? Here's what I'd say. Giving doesn't start when you get a job. Getting, giving starts when you get saved. Here, here's, here's where you're free not to tithe if God hasn't given you anything. If God hasn't given you anything, you're free not to give. <laughs> you understand. If he and you see all the ways that he has given to you, a natural heart of the grace of God will prompt us to give. And so commit, I would argue, commit and ask God to rearrange your priorities. And just remember, whether, whether you believe it's in the law, whether you believe it's in the New Testament or not, the principle still is there, I would say. Uh, we... We have to do something with this idea that it is possible to rob God and say, well, uh, uh, how about if I just take the next two years and kind of ramp up to that? If I'm, if I'm not tithing and I'm robbing God, the answer is not to rob him less. You understand the point of faith? 
that it's going to take to say, wow, even though I'm in debt, I'm going to take a step of faith and see and put God to the test and see how he enables me to live on the rest. If I say to you, uh, listen, last year I knocked off 10 convenience stores, but this year I'm only going to knock off five. I'm, I'm going to cut down on my... <laughs> I'm going to cut down on robbing convenience stores this year because I'm trying to give it up. <laughs> Would you affirm me in my spiritual growth? You, listen, God says, test me out. Test me out. Give it a shot. By faith, step out of the boat, get on the water, keep your eyes on Jesus, and, and do what he's asking and then see what happens. I would argue we need some role models. And uh, the importance of role models, I think, is in Matthew uh, 5 right here. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket on a stand. It, it gives light to all the house when you do that. Your light benefits others. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What's the point? The point is, oftentimes, I would say this, oftentimes when we talk about let your light shine, we're talking about evangelism or something. You know, let people see that you know Jesus. Well, that's good. But I would argue there's a place to let people know what, is, what healthy giving looks like. Now, the problem in our culture, in our aspect of, in our particular culture anyway, is that the unspoken rule is you don't talk about money. You don't draw attention to money. You especially don't talk about giving. Because if you do, that sounds so prideful. Are you trying to impress us? Um, but we have to do something with this passage. Let your life shine. And if stewardship is an aspect of Christian discipleship, then there's a, t there's a way in which we need to draw attention. Lights draw attention. When I was a kid, you know, you always had stores and stuff that were opening up, had these big spotlights. They drew attention to what was going on. Now, he's... I think if you go back to that passage, he's not saying don't give or don't talk about it. He's saying do it, but do it in a way that honors God. Now, I can talk about my giving in a way that people will celebrate me, right? You can talk about parenting skills in a way that people think you're wonderful. The answer is not to not do it. The answer is do it in a way that gives honor to God. You see what I'm saying? That's true of any topic. Let your light shine. Do it in a way that doesn't bring... Do it, do it in a way that people don't say, you're wonderful, but that God is wonderful. Tell the stories. Just don't make it about you. My guess is that there are a number of people in this auditorium who are trying to teach and train their children to be givers, and there are creative ways in which you're doing it. Talk about it. How, do, how, are you, how are you investing in God's kingdom work? Don't put that under a basket. Tell us about it. Share that in your community groups. Share it in individual conversations. You can make it all about you, but don't. Give it in a way that you can humbly praise God so that he gets the glory, not you. I simply would say, and the reason I bring this point up, we have a huge gap in the body of Christ in terms of people training others of how to give. That's why we're at 
Every generation is responsible to teach the next generation of how to give in a way that honors God. I think my generation especially has not done a good job of it. I'm 65. Every generation is giving less and less. When I came to faith uh, early on, the ex- listen, you got saved, you got baptized, and the expectation is that you would start tithing. That was just part of what people understood, and that's what we taught. You know, the joke is the guy was getting baptized and got out before they dunked him and got his wallet. So what are you doing? He said, I want my wallet to get baptized too. Sometimes people get baptized and they're holding, <laughs> they're holding it out. <laughs> but the problem is the next generation coming behind me has less of a conviction about that. And the one coming behind is less than that. And the one coming behind, it, but those in the 20s and 30s, it sounds almost radical to be talking about tithing. So let's talk and share our stories. Learn what God has been teaching each of us. Start giving as an act of faith, and God will enable you to live on the rest. There are testimonies in this room. I get, if we took the time, people could stand up and say, this is, what I, this is when I started tithing, and this is, how God made a, this is how God enabled me to live on what was left. I thought I needed it all and more. When I started giving, he enabled me. My car ran longer. <laughs> My uh, uh, bills got less. The question is, do you believe that? Put me to the test, God says. Put me to the test. Listen, some of you are struggling financially because you're not, God's not on your list of folks of where you give your money. Stop putting money in the bag with holes in it. Can I say again? God wants you to have more than you need so that you can give it away. Here's, here's the one application I would call us uh, to. Um, this week, as a matter of fact, today, before you leave here, uh, you or you and your significant other or you and your spouse, uh, whoever has decision-making rights on your income, pray about this and ask, God, in what ways can I sacrifice and do without so that I can give to your kingdom agenda. And, and I would say, don't give to the point where it hurts. Give to the point where it starts to feel good. There's a difference. What would God do with a church asking those kind of questions and responding to it? I would say take a dramatic step of faith this week. Put God to the test. There are cards that you can fill out. This is what Scott has asked me to mention. If you're filling out those cards now to give, you can leave. They, if you take it to the information desk, he'll be there with you, and he'll check it to see and make sure that the thing is that he's got all the information he needs. There are computers in the foyer out there where you can set up your automatic giving uh, thing. Now, if you don't need that, that's fine. If you're if you're very disciplined in writing a check, anybody write checks anymore? If you're disciplined in giving, that's fine. But if you need some structure, if you need some training wheels, uh, automatic bank withdrawal is a good thing to do. Can we stand together? Let me close with this. We can be generous givers and live with open hands because God has been such a gracious giver to us. Remember the passage last week in Corinthians? They gave sacrificially out of great affliction. They gave because they first gave themselves to God. You remember that passage? 
When you give yourself to Jesus first, the rest of this stuff comes. I don't, I don't have to have the brakes on now. He's given to me, now I can give to him. That's your starting point. If you already know Jesus, hallelujah. This sermon is for you. If you don't know Christ, don't worry about the giving thing. Your most important first step is coming to grips with what it means to know Jesus personally as your Savior. After I'm going to pray, and then the prayer team will come. I will be the anointing elder over here as well. If folks would like to be anointed either for emotional, physical healing, spiritual healing, uh, we're available. Would you mean business with God? Let me pray. Father, as best we know our own hearts, we want your spirit to turn the light on in areas of our hearts that need to be illuminated. Would you show us the next step, wherever we are? Lord, all of us at different points on the continuum right here in this auditorium, would you help us to understand and give us faith and courage to take the next step, whatever that is? Whether it has to do with giving, whether it has to do with coming first of all to you by faith, I pray that you would help us to make that decision. We commit ourselves afresh to you this day. Help us, God, to be your kind of people. I pray that in the name of Jesus, amen.